Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and oh my gosh, here we are in the middle of February, February 15th, 2023. Mm-hmm. PK, how are you tonight? I'm actually doing well, taking a look at everything, thinking the middle of the month, everybody's candy's gone and the flowers have died from yesterday, so now we're going to have to go forward and find <laughs> something else. Yeah, we sure do. Oh, my goodness. Well, tell us, what can we expect? Well, let's put it this way. There's not anything really fabulous going on at this point in time. This year is all about being spiritual, about learning, about teaching, all of the above. Secrets being made known and a lot of sleight of hand. But this month is the ending of a lot of this to really get that year that we're in going full bore as of the first of next month. So right now we're trying to figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and what's the best way to handle it. We can't just go by what we're being told anymore because everything, I feel like I'm living with a magician. Everything's sleight of hand. What they tell you, what they do, what they show you, and what they don't. None of it fits. So we're all trying to... Right step above and go forward. And right now, nothing looks very pretty because you don't know who or what to trust. And I'm afraid it starts at the top and moves down. And the top has been untrustworthy. I hate to put it that way. Very much so. We all know it. We're all seeing it when we go grocery shopping. Crazy. So I don't like to be pessimistic, but... I, right at this moment in time, am not holding out for anything to look much better after this month surpasses. But for right now, if we take the bull by the horns and really take a look at what we can do to make anything better, don't just go on blind faith because blind is the key word. What do you think? I think you're right. I think the biggest gift you can give yourself is to go for the truth. How many times had, did we talk about things on the air that were suspicious to us? Everything from, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you know, COVID, the vaccine, all of that stuff, and then the government pulling all of the these punches that aren't making sense to, to us. And, and well, we encouraged our audience Take a look, you know, go a little further than just listening to Pfizer or go a little further than uh, just, you know, saying I'm going to do this for the country. It's like now look at what's happening. Now take a look how at the research. Now take true. a look at the early yeah. death syndrome. And and how many times did we try to, you know, warn people, look, it's all of this is your decision, everybody. You decide on how you're going to live your life what you're going to do for yourselves. We suggest, and we always have, that you look a little deeper, and that's what I hear you saying tonight, PK, that just don't take it at face value, because face value is the magic trick, just like you said. And... And also look at what's happening in our in our skies. All of a sudden, oh. these balloons flying around and talking about them as if they are UFOs, like they don't know what they are, really? I find that hard to believe. And, again, look a little more closely. Some people are saying it's aliens. I say, my opinion, definitely not aliens. <laughs> definitely so. not ETs. And as Dr. Stephen Greer said, 
It's crazy. I mean, they've are, been here for, for thousands of years. Yeah, it's it's like you know, now they're sending mm-hmm. these stupid balloons around. No, I mean what's really what's really happening is a little more obvious than aliens and extraterrestrials. So again, take a closer look. As Dr. Stephen Greer says, look if if an object has seams on it, it is not ET. It is not. Yeah. And doesn't that make sense? Like Judge Judy says, if it doesn't make common sense, it's not. It's not real. So. That's for sure. Seems on these objects. I mean, some people are are just going wild with this uh, ET alien uh, issue. It's not. There. It's just my opinion. I I don't think so. But again, what is it? I think it's coming eventually. But at this point in time, they're not here yet. We're too screwed up for them to want to come and visit. (laughs) Well, I know they've been visiting, but they don't want to be. Make friends you know with us, I mean. humans. That's that's yeah. the part. They I mean, they're not they're not going to land on the on the lawn and extend a hand to us when we're no. so badly behaved. However, you know, groups, some lucky people have had those experiences, like Betty Andreessen and Betty right. Hill and Barney Hill, and so many other people have had experiences and and meeting aliens and ETs. It's it's just a, a very interesting exciting experience for some people uh, more for some people more positive than others however what's happening right now i would not be surprised to find out that these things in our skies belong to us and these are surveillance balloons that our own government uses against us well what a surprise that would be huh <laughs> so anyway like you said it's all sleight of hand so there's it also is. something else which fun. is Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called Project Bluebeam, which was predicted by Werner von Braun. Werner von Braun came wow. over here with Project Paperclip. He was a Nazi scientist, and he mm-hmm. said that if they couldn't get us under control with this pandemic, with the vaccine, with the financial uh-huh. collapse, with whatever, like bad government, which we certainly have now, if they couldn't get us under control with that, I mean, look at what has happened in the Ohio Valley and they're trying to prevent reporters from reporting on it. This is like chernobyl size disaster. So it's going to be affecting our, our water, our, our food, and these poor people that were just right in the epicenter of it. But anyways, if that, none of that worked, then they were going to have this fake alien invasion to, to scare people into complying. So that was his prediction, and I think we're coming close to that, unfortunately. But it's because not enough people were complying. Not enough people ran out and got the vaccine. Now they're saying that the masks never worked. Lockdown never worked. So all of these things that so many people were protesting against, now we're finding out that those things, in fact, did not work. So so much to consider, everybody. It's like really time to grow up and take an honest look around and take well, an honest look at your choices. I agree with you. Go and ahead. The thing is, at the end of this month, we are totally into the seven year. Secrets are going to be made known. It isn't just suspicion. We're going to get some factual situations being made known to us before this year is over. I would say between now and September. We're going to be a little surprised at some of the things we see and some of the sleight of hand that's going on by our political friends. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> friends in quotes. Yes. <laughs> well, I can't wait for these secrets yes. to be made known, but uh, I think we've oh, had yeah. a number of them come to light, but more would be better. Yes. Oh, there's going to be more, more no better. doubt in my mind. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, we're ready. Great. And our yes. audience is ready. We've we've warned all of you, so now you're ready to. Oh my God! That'll perk us up. We, and this is another secret being made known, is it not? That's this true. is Definitely. great. Oh my goodness! Well, Paul Blake Smith, he is a terrific guest. He's a friend of ours. He is just a wonderful writer. He puts the pieces together, and he had mm-hmm. another. He has many books, but. 
another more recent book he did was on President Eisenhower's Close Encounter. And we had him on the show talking about that. It was a phenomenal show. And now he's got a new book coming out this spring. And he was kind enough to allow us to be the first ones to have him on the air to talk about it. The Nixon Gleason Alien Encounter. So, Mm -hmm. Paul, let me tell you a little bit about him. He is a renowned UFO researcher and the author of five, at least five that I know of, UFO books, including the Amazon bestseller, President Eisenhower's Close Encounter. So now he has this new book that reveals the details of a secret visit, secrets being made known, to a Florida Mm -hmm. airbase that held extraterrestrial bodies. So the Nixon-Gleason Alien Encounter, again, is going to be available this spring, but you're hearing about it first on our show. So let's bring him on. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you back. I know. I got a chuckle out of what you were saying, that uh, we'll never see an alien on the White House lawn. I just got a look at the artwork for my new book. It depicts a UFO <laughs> over the White House. <laughs> the artist stuck a little alien right there in the front on the White House lawn. <laughs> I love it. It's it's a, it's a beautiful cover. Very eye-catching, yeah. too. It's a great cover. And we all can't wait for this book to drop, but we have read it in advance, thanks to you, and it is quite a story. And you have so many other books that you've written about a lot of other UFO mysteries, and I want to encourage everybody to go to Amazon and look up Paul Blake Smith's other books because they are all excellent. And like I said, Paul, you're great at putting the pieces together for us. So tell us a little bit about how you got started with the Nixon-Gleason alien encounter. Mm-hmm. Well, in doing the research for the Eisenhower book, we all know his vice president was Richard Nixon. And it, naturally, the question arises, what did Nixon know? And when did he know it? And did he undertake a contact with an extraterrestrial race like his boss, President Eisenhower? So uh, in uh, 1974, we got a clue, a strong clue. And that's when Beverly McKittrick Gleason uh, gave an interview to a tabloid and said, my husband Jackie came home one night in 1973, February 19th. We're up to the anniversary date almost and said, uh, President Nixon just showed me the evidence for extraterrestrials at an Air Force base near here. And Jackie read this in the tabloids, and he exploded. He was very angry and told her, you're never to speak of this. Uh, And then uh, he was inundated with questions. Is this story true, what your wife just said in the tabloids? And instead of saying, this is a lie, it's a smear, it's a bunch of bunk and junk, he said, "Uh, no comment. So flash forward nine more years, and his wife decided to write a tell-all book of her time with Jackie. They had been divorced for years, so Beverly decided uh, she'll uh, kickstart her book by writing a one-page article for the Inquirer again and explore this subject at more length, that Nixon and Jackie went to an Air Force base on February 19th, 1973, and saw the evidence that we are being visited. And when he came home, he was just aghast. She said he was haggard and pale and shook up, that he began drinking and smoking, which obviously was not unusual for Jackie, but um, he had trouble (laughs) sleeping and eating. And uh, he was so emotionally overwrought. She believed him. She believes that he did have a very unusual emotional experience at this Homestead Air Force Base just south of Miami, where he was living at the time. Now, what a lot of people don't know about Jackie Gleason is he was fascinated with this whole topic, aliens, <laughs> alien encounters, UFOs. He was huge into this, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm beginning to wonder if he was the most obsessed person with this subject in all America. He had an extensive book collection. He would snap up every UFO book. He ended up with 1,700 of them. Um, the oh paranormal and UFOs, they're now at the University of Miami in a special library reading room. 
and uh, he would call up the authors and quiz them at length and call up the subjects uh, in the book, uh, quiz them at length. Any person, any eyewitness, he had to know every single detail. He was just obsessed with finding out the truth. Are we really being visited? Now, he was a little cynical. He didn't believe everything he heard, which is a wise course to take. But he did come to believe that we are being visited, and he would offer people first a half a million dollars for hard physical proof. And as the years went by, he jacked that up to $1 million. And it was no joke. Jackie made like 10 or $12 million per year, uh, mostly mm-hmm. from movies and TV and record albums. So he had lots of money to burn, and he was burning with desire to find the hard proof to answer this question to uh, resolve it in his mind uh, firmly. And I think Richard Nixon needed the money, called him up, and said, I've got something to show you if you are going to live up to this promise of $1 million. And that's how this came about, that the president of the United States would take a civilian into restricted uh, airbase laboratory and show him what Mm -hmm. we've got. And I can give you the details on that if you like. Yes, please. And also, I mean, it's so it's you're you're positioning this so that it sounds like it was an actual financial deal. But they were friends, weren't they? Nixon yes. and Gleason. They were pretty close friends. They used to play golf together. You know, they, right. they somewhat socialized together. So yeah, yeah they, they trusted each buddies. other. Yeah, yeah they trusted each other. Play. They played golf as of the early '60s, and I've even got some photographs of the two of them long before 1973. Uh, Just before we landed on the moon in 69, Richard Nixon flew to Miami and played golf with Jackie Gleason. And there's uh, some colorful photos of the two of them together. They were confidants, fellow conservatives. They both uh, perspired excessively, and uh, they were interested (laughs) in the whys and wherefores of life. And so they Mm -hmm. confided in each other, and I think Nixon finally uh, took him into his confidence on the most explosive and exciting subject of our day. Definitely. And Jackie was so obsessed with this, he even had a house built in in upstate New York, right? right? Was it upstate? Yes. I'm not Uh, sure. He spent a lot of money. I'll bet over a million dollars, which was a lot of money in 1954. It was actual money, yes. And and the house Uh, was absolutely gorgeous. I mean, he really Oh, yeah, and it's really unique even to this day. Uh, He lived in Manhattan in an apartment. Oh, okay. uh, Jackie well, lived in uh, New York this, City. Yeah, yeah. He was the the thing went just recently. I think the last few years it went on the market for twelve million. Yeah. So it obviously uh, increased in value, but it it was a stunning house. You can see it, uh, pictures of it on the web, and also on our Facebook page. I put some photos up for people to see it. It is just an incredible, I think, testament to how much he was interested in UFOs. Mm-hmm. So for, really, for people who have never heard of it, a fascinating yeah, guy. It, yeah, it was a flying saucer design. He personally custom yeah. designed this to look like a flying saucer, and he had all glass windows in front. It was perched uh, near the edge of a cliff so that all of his guests could feel like they're riding in a spaceship in the clouds. <laughs> and in the center, he had a Tesla scope, and that's a... Uh, uh, a special device that Nikola Tesla, the inventor, used to try to contact aliens. And he also had telescopes and ham radios for trying to contact aliens. It shouldn't be a surprise now, but it was pretty shocking back then that not everyone was into this subject. And you could be labeled a kook if you weren't careful, if you didn't keep this under wraps. But Jackie didn't care. He was determined to go after his obsession in every way. He really was, and I'm really glad you're sharing that. Yeah, right. You meant it literally. Well, you know, it, but it is such a fascinating side of his character, and I'm, you're right. Back then, you could really be labeled, but he didn't care. He was a bigger-than-life personality. People loved him. He was so popular. But at the same time, I mean, look at the investment that he made in his library and in his home, mm-hmm. and the right. telescopes. and I mean, he, this is serious. This was very serious for him. It was, and he would hold parties in this house uh, with his celebrity friends, uh, Audrey Meadows, who played uh, 
uh, Alice on uh, the right. honeymooners, even mm-hmm. went there and saw it firsthand and was amazed like everyone else. Everything is circular in design in the house. Uh, they called it the roundhouse or the UFO house. And, and one thing that's amusing is that Jackie never actually stayed overnight there. He would walk across the property to a so-called regular house that had a bedroom, and he would sleep there. There was only <laughs> one bathroom funny. in the roundhouse. Yeah. So uh, it was for parties, and he eventually uh, sold it to uh, CBS when he left uh, the, uh, New York City in 1964 and moved to Miami. Uh-huh. Wow. Well, it is extraordinary, everybody. Get, go take a look at it. You will be impressed because he put the best of everything in that house. I mean, it's, it's today. It still is beautiful. So it says a lot about how it's weathered the test of time. So tell us more, Paul, because you've got a lot of details about how this whole encounter took place. How, what happened? And this is Homestead Air Force Base down in Florida. So right. I know where that is. Uh, what, he, what happened? Yeah, when he got elected, uh, President Nixon immediately bought a house on Key Biscayne in the Miami suburbs. Even though he had a big, beautiful house in San Clemente, California, he made 55 trips down the coast to Key Biscayne. And when his presidency was over, he sold the house and he never went back there. It's a little strange, a little suspicious why he kept flying to Homestead Air Force Base and then would take a helicopter to this Key Biscayne waterfront home that had a helipad right out front. Uh, Mr. Nixon loved taking... Marine One, the helicopter, and he would take it all over Miami. And records show he took it across Miami to meet Jackie Gleason on February 19, 1973. That was the day Jackie was hosting a golf tournament, and Nixon came down in his chopper. I talked to uh, one of President Nixon's surviving aides, a man named Stephen Bull, And he told me, I was there that day, and Jackie Gleason came rolling up in a golf cart, and I thought for sure he was going to be decapitated on the spot. That uh, He jumped out of the cart, ran over to the helicopter with a blade still wearing, and they were just so relieved that neither man had his head lopped off on on television. (laughs) Yeah, the press were there watching. It was a televised golf tournament with lots of celebrities, and Nixon came out and, and rode around in a golf cart with Jackie, but they did not play golf. Uh, but uh, they bantered with the press. Microphones were set up. And after a while, Mr. Nixon took off. It's later that night that Jackie disappeared from the house. And he came back uh, a little before midnight, all shook up, according to his wife. And she asked him, where have you been? And so he <laughs> told her the truth. <laughs> and it's the most astounding story that uh, they took a trip to Homestead Air Force Base. Uh, I want to put to rest one rumor that's just silly, that somehow Nixon stole a car, got past two bodyguards and uh, (laughs) checkpoints full of bodyguards, and drove all the way across uh, Miami in the dark and picked up Jackie. What I'm convinced is Mr. Nixon either went in his helicopter to that same helipad right near Jackie's (laughs) golf course home, or he sent uh, an aide in the helicopter, picked up Jackie, and flew him directly to uh, Homestead Air Force Base. That uh-huh. was the much makes simpler more trip. Sense. Yeah. Yes. And he that said, when sense. I got there, there was Mr. Nixon and an armed escort. This was serious business. He said they took us to a restricted part of the base, a remote part of the base. He's telling this story later on to his wife, who recalled it. And uh, there were armed guards at this laboratory. They had to step aside, and Mr. Nixon took him in and didn't say too much and showed him uh, four examining tables. And what was on the examining tables just had to have just floored Jackie. He probably was ready to faint dead away, even though he was quite prepared on this subject. He already believed we're being visited. But there were four extraterrestrial bodies, cadavers, being uh, presumably examined on these examining tables. And so uh, Mr. Nixon let Jackie have a great big look and satisfy his curiosity once and for all. Gosh. Now, when they went went into this area, you're saying it was a restricted area, obviously, and it was in the remote part of the base. You know, we hear a lot, Paul, about these underground facilities and that that's where they have a lot of the saline stuff happening. So it, was this underground or not? It doesn't sound like it from the description uh, his wife gave. 
Yeah, Mrs. Gleason did not use the term underground. She said they went into a lab. However, it could have been that, that they went down under uh, the airbase to the special room. She didn't use that term. And remember, she was trying to remember everything for this article nine years after Jackie told her the story. So that's possible. Yeah, right. Yes. Yes. And, yeah, I just I also wonder if they had to put on any special uh, clothing, any protective suit, anything like that when they were in the lab with these bodies. I mean, even just a dead body usually put on some type of protective wear. But I'm wondering about those two. Did they have to put something on before they went into the room? I'm just trying to I think that's a very good question. I wish I had an answer. Uh, Mrs. Gleason did not recall that. Uh, Jackie might have told her, or he might have just skipped over that part, but uh, he didn't mention uh, like a hazmat suit or something like that. He just said, we went in, and I saw these four bodies. He did not describe their color and said they were only like two and a half, three feet tall. They were like little dwarf a uh, aliens with big pointy mm -hmm. ears. And so uh, it had to have creeped them out, anyone seeing this. These cadavers are just sort of staring up at the ceiling on their backs. And uh, he said they looked as though they had been embalmed. Now, uh, I don't know what caused him to say that, but it's certainly possible that they uh, were very well preserved, and he did not mention any injuries or damage. So uh, how long these creatures had been uh, our captives and deceased and uh, examined or embalmed, uh, Jackie did not tell his wife, unfortunately. And he also probably did not say where these bodies came from then, if they came from a crash or some other experience. Uh, what he told his wife and what she remembered is that he said at the time to Mr. Nixon, there must have been a crash nearby. And there was no response, or at least Jackie did not report a response. I don't think Nixon wanted to tell mm -hmm. him too much. He was probably already... Uh, in a little trouble for violating national security codes, but this he was the top dog in the country. Uh, he was the president who had just recently won a massive reelection. He was extremely popular, bringing the Vietnam War to a close. His poll ratings were at all-time high. He could do any darn thing he wanted to, and this is what he wanted to do, give his good friend what he craved. And it's interesting to note that Jackie's birthday was coming up in just a few days from this. What do you get for the ah. man who has everything? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. What a great birthday present for Jackie. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You got him some dead aliens. Maybe you should wrap some bow ties on and say, here you go. Yeah, he should have <laughs> put a gift wrap on something close to it anyways. But, oh, my goodness, what an incredible experience for Jackie Gleason. And, you know, we have heard from some of the other people that we've interviewed on this show, Paul, that – President Nixon was one of the most highly briefed presidents when it came to extraterrestrials. He had a tremendous amount of information, and that was in contrast to, say, the you know Clinton. Uh, they didn't want to tell Clinton anything for some reason. Gee, I wonder why. But they didn't. But Nixon got a lot, if not all, of the information they had, which we find interesting. And like you're saying, he was the top dog back then. So I he must have had uh, information. Yeah, I agree with yes, you. I, I received information recently from a source <laughs> who said, Paul, your reporting is right on. Nixon did go to Homestead Air Force Base for these matters and that he did negotiate a new treaty uh, with some friendly extraterrestrials, just like Eisenhower before him, and that Nixon was very briefed on this subject. And I'll just point out a little piece of trivia. When he went to Key Biscayne, the Secret Service and aides say later, Nixon spent a lot of time deep in thought, sometimes reading briefing documents marked top secret and classified, and he couldn't discuss it with anyone, what he was thinking about and what he was reading. And now maybe we know more why. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That Perfect. would make sense. Yes. Yes. Even well, to his and close so, and friends also... or his wife, yeah. Yeah, and also you're talking about how many trips he made to Homestead. So 55 as president. Doesn't that raise a few alarm bells with it, anyone? that uh, He had a home he across the country. Yeah. 
And uh, Aids recall, well, we never really got much work done in Key Biscayne. He would play golf and do a lot of reading. Well, now maybe I understand their need to get away and unwind, but also fathom these reports that they were getting from contact, probably, at, or at least partially, at Homestead Air Force Base, which was located right on the uh, Atlantic Ocean, where there weren't too many witnesses around. It was high security all the way, lots of Army, Navy, and intelligence people, uh, even the uh, Coast Guard, Air Force, of course, uh, we're in and out of there. Uh, it was a very secure base, and it was serious stuff back then. It probably still is. Was uh, when your research, Paul, was there uh, any information that you could glean about this treaty that he had uh, probably renegotiated? Uh, I could not find much on that, and my contact who came through with this said that it's true that he did negotiate with uh, these creatures or at least one race or maybe more races. Uh, I'd like to know more just like you. Uh, Linda Moulton Howe had an interesting source that she believed, and she explained his uh, method of operation. Uh, he was ill with cancer, and he decided to tell all. He worked in the 40s, 50s, and 60s with military intelligence and with the Central Intelligence Agency. And he came forward. He said, I want to get this off my chest before I die. And that said, President Eisenhower was fully briefed on extraterrestrial contact and that he knew exactly what was going on. And at uh, least one of these meetings, he said, Vice President Nixon sat in in the 1950s and just looked slack-jawed. He was stunned. He had very little to say at this briefing. Apparently, he didn't know too much about it until uh, the briefing itself. But he was informed that we are in contact. And we do have some treaties with uh, at least the uh, more communicative, friendly uh, races that are visiting here. Who knows how many are coming here to check us out? Uh, they don't, or there we are asking them, do not disrupt society, do not land in populated areas or show yourself for too long. Uh, please don't start a panic. We don't want another Wall Street crash and the Great Depression. Uh, we need to keep society rolling along quietly. That's what Eisenhower wanted, and I'm sure that's what Nixon wanted, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no doubt, especially yeah, Eisenhower, yeah. because I know in, in your last book you talked about that, too, that Eisenhower was very much afraid that if word got out about this, there would be some panic setting in that was would be uncontrollable. That was his big concern. That's correct. Uh, people remembered uh, the night before Halloween, 1938, when the War of the Worlds radio broadcast with Orson Welles uh, set off some amount of panic, uh, a little bit. Maybe it was a little overblown, but I think the government noted that, this story of alien invasion at Grover's Mill in New Jersey, and people, uh, some people went out and grabbed their guns and got in their car and went looking for the aliens, and uh, they hid in their basements, and uh, they they pulled the shades and locked the doors and were very frightened that we were going to be invaded all over a fictional radio play in which they were told repeatedly during the broadcast, this is just a book and it's just a fictional novel and it's a play we're putting on. And people still, you know, uh, went overboard. So the government had to have noted that and thought we've got to keep the wraps on this. We don't want a massive scale panic if uh, some of these races even land or get out and start walking around, we can't have this. It's It's got to be controlled. Right. Right. That's what they thought. Today, though, the climate has changed so radically. And, uh, again, I think society, everything would change if we were to have direct contact, not through the government, the Pentagon trying to feed us little pieces of nonsense, but actual, you know, contact from them to us, the public. It would be a very different reaction. However, there are some other issues here because there was some, and of course all we can say at this point is there's some stories about this because all of this is still classified, right? Right. These yeah, documents the, are hidden The away. only way it gets out is somebody leaks it or talks too much after a briefing or maybe a whistleblower comes forward. That's the only way, because there's no government disclosure. No one stepped forward officially and said, this is what's going on. We just kind of have to guess. 
Yeah, we do. And and some of the stories that have come out are about Eisenhower and I'm sure Nixon too then uh having this treaty that allows these extraterrestrial races to take some of us. And I think having that on a treaty, how ridiculous it sounds just even saying it out loud because how do they monitor that? You know, how does the government keep track of who they're taking, if they are returning them, because I think one of the stories said that they wanted these people returned. But we all know there are some people that have not been returned, and chances are good that they were taken uh, by ETs. And so, again, it's it's so problematic for the government at this point. If they ever released that information, I think that's where they'd have to be concerned. More so right. than just aliens are among us. I mean, the fact that the government sold us out and said, yeah, you can abduct these people. Please try to bring them back. And in exchange, we'd like your technology. I don't think people would take kindly to that. <laughs> uh, there was a engineer for Skunk Works by the name of Don Phillips, and he gave an interview on camera and said, I was shown some top-secret documents one time that said President Eisenhower did meet with extraterrestrials. We were gifted some technology. And at this meeting, President Eisenhower told them, well, how can we stop you? You're so advanced. So he asked, you know, for a treaty, please don't, uh, you know, disrupt our society or show yourselves too overtly. And I think in exchange, they were, uh, the president allowed some sort of agreement that you could take somebody from a rural setting and look them over for your scientific experiments and put them back. And I think there's one rumor that Eisenhower made the stipulation, you have to give us a list in writing of whom you've taken, you know, and uh, you promise to put them back intact. And so after a while, it seemed like maybe that was being broken, that uh, uh, extraterrestrials were taking advantage of this and abducting and putting back uh, people, but uh, probing them rather roughly. And it's a case of if you give permission to one race, what if another comes in and decides, oh, this is what we're going to do too, and we don't have an agreement. We don't have to, uh, you know, conform to uh, what uh, treaty has been formed with other races. So it gets to be kind of messy when you start opening a can of worms, allow one or two races to do something. What about all the others that come here? And that's a great point, Paul. It really is. You know, it's <laughs> which I think is Definitely. why they don't want the floodgates opened on this issue, because it it is so, and it was so problematic, and it still is. One of the other stories we've heard is that Eisenhower gave them permission to take people from our national parks and to put them back there, but they don't. I mean, how many people have been missing you know, have gone missing from the parks never to be seen again uh their equipment is never found david polites has been great at keeping track of all of that and has presented i know the latest movie is called missing 411 the ufo connection about this very thing but yeah it'd be interesting i mean who knows maybe someday we'll know if that that was part of the treaty or not, but again, it, it would be so problematic for our government to release that information because people would be incensed. I would imagine I would be and furious that well, this type yeah. of deal was made. Well, I'm definitely canceling all vacation plans to a national park in the future. Uh, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, I it, know they, it. Uh, it, it, <laughs> yeah, if extraterrestrials are granted some sort of permission to do this, they uh, it's only out in rural settings. And, well, our national parks are enormous, you know, and, and cover a lot of some states out west, for example. So if this were to happen, uh, that would be a classic example, I guess. It really would. It really would. And the, the also their refusal to follow the treaty if, if they even had something in an agreement like this. I mean, there have been people abducted out of their bedrooms in New York City. There's some great stories about that with witnesses. So, yeah, and and that they're put back. I mean, look at some of the people that have been put back. They've been dropped out of the bottom of these spaceships, like Carl Higdon, who ended up being dropped out of the bottom of the spaceship and, and of course, was so disoriented 
he ended up uh, really hurting himself, his shoulder, and was out of his mind after the whole experience. So I think his mm-hmm. wife Marjorie would say, no, they didn't put him back the way they found him. <laughs> so they have that also, that aspect of it. And, <clears throat> again, there's just so many angles to this that would bring disgust to people if they knew the government had given us away. And hence the secrecy. Why uh, yes. presidents have never come forward to say we're doing this or doing that. Uh, it's interesting that uh, on the 10-year anniversary of the Eisenhower counter of February 19, 1954, Lyndon Johnson dropped everything, flew out to Palm Springs, exactly where Eisenhower was, met with him at that time, and there were some gaps in his schedule for a few days. He and Eisenhower were up to something. And uh, Linda Moulton Howe had a source who was a scientist, a physicist at uh, Edwards Air Force Base, who said we had a, uh, a gifted spaceship out there and that there was a, uh, a first person in contact meeting in 64. And that's exactly the 10-year uh, anniversary of Eisenhower's encounter. So Johnson may have had his own uh, experiences, and Nixon had his own but I don't know if it went much further than that. Uh, I don't have much data on Ford or Carter who were interested in the subject, no question. And then we get mm-hmm. to Ronald Reagan, and I'm uh, accumul- accumulating a lot of information on him. He had a great interest in private uh, and would call up uh, President Nixon and apparently uh, discuss the matter. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they connected about this. Interesting. Yeah, because I think Reagan did have his own encounter. Carter had his own encounter of just seeing a ship. But from what we heard about Carter, and I always found this fascinating. Remember this, PK, when we were told that after Carter was briefed, and we know he was not briefed to the same level as Nixon was, nowhere near that. But afterwards, Carter was reported to have gone into his office and sobbed. Just sobbed for like an yeah. hour. And, you know, we talked about, well, why would that be? And what I think about is this, and, of course, this is just my own theory, but what I think about is how Jimmy Carter was a very religious man. Right. And when they he briefed him, yes, and when they briefed him, what if they said, uh, hey, the big secret is they made us. These aliens made us. They genetically created us. That would make Jimmy Carter cry. (laughs) (laughs) So poor Jimmy. Uh, If that that information was given and was backed up by, look, this is really the truth, and we don't want this to get out, I would think that it would have hit him right in the heart because of his religious beliefs. Uh, I think it would make a lot of Americans pretty upset if they heard that. Carter uh, made a mistake in that when he campaigned for president, he said, I've seen a UFO, and if I become president, I'll release all information on UFOs. Well, that caused the government to clab up and not tell him anything at all, and so he kind of was left egg on his face, wasn't he? He he didn't reveal anything. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk from people about, oh, I'll release it. I think Clinton, same thing, but they didn't want to tell him anything. And then Hillary was saying, oh, I'll tell everybody. And Obama said the same. Nobody has. Nobody has. That's right. They Very get the briefing once they come into office. I think they get a little information and tell them, you will not talk about this. And uh, Bush, Obama, and Clinton have all been on, like, Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel. And they ask him directly. God bless them. They ask him. All right. Are we being uh, observed? Are we being visited by alien races? None of those three ex-presidents will give a straight answer. They'll just say, well, I can tell you, but I'll have to kill you. (laughs) Or they give you a wacky answer. It's a comedy answer. And they won't give you a straight answer. Well, what does that tell us? Right. That's very important to be one I really know. This is... Such a fascinating topic, and again, as a great writer, that the great writer you are, you put all the pieces together. And reading your books, you know, you once you read them, it's like you can't say this didn't happen. This happened. It really did. Yep. And yes, we are still missing some of the pieces here because it's so deeply classified. But overall, you've 
put the you know put all this together for a very compelling case for both Eisenhower and Nixon, and and also Gleason that this all happened, and actually uh, in a I, lot of ways the the evidence is right in front of us. You've given it to us. Yeah, I take a certain amount of pride in the reviews I've gotten, let's say on Amazon, in which people say they went in with a cynical approach. This is a uh, silly business or this is nonsense and he said by the time i got finished reading yeah it happened the, the writer convinced me <laughs> he made his case exactly. and I, i've changed my mind and so uh, i'll try to do that with the nixon story mm-hmm. and it's a great one i think you know the friendship between the two men and you know just that he was able to make jackie gleason's dream come true that Jackie could finally see the evidence the way he did. You know, with Jackie having this fascination uh, that was that was so out there for that day and age, it makes me wonder if he had his own encounter and just didn't talk about it. Uh, he gave an interview in the 50s and said he had not seen a UFO, but by the early 70s he said he saw one walking on a beach in Miami. So he did get to that okay. experience uh, of uh, at some point, whether it was before or the Nixon encounter, I don't know. I wish I had more on that. But even back in the 50s when he was Ralph Cramden, uh, there was an episode where Ralph and his friends all went to a costume party, and Ralph decides to make his own costume, and he gathers up all these knobs and, and dials and gauges and bits of metal from around the apartment, and he says, here's my costume. And they said, who are you supposed to be? And he says, oh, I am the man from space. So he even wanted oh. to be an alien and put this on television. And you can see that episode <laughs> where they go to the costume party. Ralph disguises himself, if you want to call it that, as a, an alien. He was that that's obsessed. That's too funny. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Now, obviously, he did not want his wife... Jackie Gleason did not want his wife talking about this, but she did. And then she put it in the book. Was Jackie still alive when that book came out? Okay. When the 1983 article came out, the second time she talked to the Enquirer and exposed the story, he exploded with anger again, called her up, chewed her out, told her no book. Uh, there'll be no book, and she was so rattled and upset and frightened that there was never any tell-all book. She put the kibosh in that, uh, or well, he did, and uh, to this day, she's only spoken up one time. A UFO researcher called her in 2003, and she did not change her story. She didn't retract it. Uh, she said, it really happened, and I'm not changing it, and so... Uh, I was not able to pin her down if she's still with us. She'd be uh, close to uh, 89 or 90 today if she's still with us. But she has said her piece, and she did not retract uh, a single statement, and I think it's something we can rely on. Absolutely. So there wasn't any book. It was two magazine articles is what you're saying, or two articles in the Inquirer? Right. Well, the first one was a brief interview she did, and the second she sat down and wrote this article to try to kickstart interest in in a tell-all book. And Jackie put an end to that pretty fast and really uh, shook her up so much she didn't speak up on this subject, and neither did Jackie. He was uh, served a legal affidavit once that all he had to do was sign this and admit that the story is true, and he uh, didn't throw it away or say this is a lie. He just refused all comment. Uh, supposedly people in the industry who were quite interested in UFOs in, in entertainment asked him, and uh, he says, I have nothing to say about it. And so he could have easily said, this is all foolishness, but he refused. And so I think, again, like these presidents that go on national television, won't give you a straight answer or just laugh it off, you know, there's your answer. We really are being visited, and they can't talk about it. They're afraid. Right. Well, and especially back then, I mean, there was a lot more energy in the military and the shadow government towards putting the kibosh on all of this. I mean, people's lives were threatened. Some people were killed. And, you know, they were told, if you talk about this, we're going to put an end to you. So I would imagine, not that Jackie Gleason was afraid of that or afraid for his life, but he might have, you know, been a bit concerned for his wife, ex-wife, 
or any of his friends, because that's also the way they controlled people, is to say, well, we'll just take out your friends, or we'll just yeah. get rid of your ex-wife or your wife. So, yeah, so he may have really read the riot act and said, you know, look, they can take you out at any time if you keep talking that about That may this. have been a motivating factor in his remaining quiet. They could have subtly, you know, warned him or threatened him directly. He didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to lie. And that's something else I found out in researching Jackie Gleason. He was not a liar prone to making up exaggerated tales or outright fibs. People said he was an upright, straightforward, honest man. So that bears well to his character. Uh, he was incredibly talented, and he risked his reputation by sticking to his paranormal interests uh, he used to call in a radio show in New York City and talk about UFOs a little bit. Uh, and he said, and I got this quote just after my book went to print, or it's about to be in print. Uh, uh, Jackie said to the host, I just talked to Edward R. Murrow, and I told him, I think UFOs are the most important subject in the whole world. That's how obsessed he was and willing to talk to intelligent, informed people. But uh, he may have crammed up uh, in later years after the Nixon encounter because he was afraid of any possible reprisal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but you know what courage he had to just to admit to the world, look, I really like this stuff, and I do think it's the most important topic in the world. I mean, that's a lot of courage to stand and say that way back when. People forget, or people are too young to remember, that those topics were just not allowed. People would just point and laugh if you tried right. to talk to them about any of this stuff. And and also, at the same time, the government was doing what they were doing to try to discredit people that had had abductions and, ex and firsthand experiences because they didn't want any of this to be taken seriously. So it was much easier for them to put time and effort and military personnel into basically disparaging these people that had these encounters. So Jackie Gleason was taking a big risk, but he did it. He did it with flair, that's for sure. <laughs> he did everything with flair, but you're right. People were thought of as kind of kooky if you came forward and said, I've seen flying saucers. You might lose your job. You're standing in your community, and yes. people thought you were a nut, or a, it was more fringe element, but it was around the 40s and 50s. There were B-movies in Hollywood, uh, Invasion from Mars or something like that, War of the Worlds remade, and uh, people went to it and started to open their minds very slowly, and it's much more mainstream today. Uh, for young people who are listening, I don't know quite else how, how to put it other than uh, – uh, you would be thought of as a bit of a space cadet if you said you had UFO sightings or a, a tremendous passion for it. Yeah, you wouldn't be taken seriously today in the old days. Today, people are taken much more seriously, but it took us a long time to get here. But it made me like Jackie Gleason even more. And seeing that house, I'm going to go back to that, it just thrilled me because I saw this his passion in that house and how how he had that that experience with president nixon um, it must have been the highlight of his life i would think to be able to walk into that lab and see what he saw and who knows what else nixon did tell him then or even later on but i mean he was privy to something that no but no other civilian was privy to that's right uh i think he may have even seen more than this there is one source who has stated, and I don't know anything about this person's background, but he's come forward and said the uh, the air base uh, was visited by Nixon and Gleason, and they went over to uh, an airplane hangar that you can actually see from a highway that goes by the base, and that oh inside the hangar there was a craft, and that it had to be uh, roped or cabled to the floor because it was, you know, in a sense, alive. It hovered over the floor. It was your typical round silver spaceship, and Gleason was shown that as well. Remember, when he came home, he was just haggard and pale, and Jackie was never like that. He was really mm -hmm. shook up. So I think he may have even seen more than four dead alien bodies that he would admit to to his wife. You know, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. 
And any of this, I mean, when you really conf- when you are confronted with the reality of it in physical form, it, it has to have that kind of shocking effect, I would think. And you're right. I think he was told more. You know, maybe he was told more like Jimmy Carter was told more, and it's stuff that's hard to digest. You know, it's hard to to find a way to integrate it with what you think you know about the world, reality, religion. It's not the easiest thing to come to terms with, with what you think you know. And for Jackie, who was already a mature man and braced up for this from all the books that he had read, it still shook him up really bad. So he had to have found out something pretty uh, pretty exciting and yet uh, nerve-rattling uh, to come home in that kind of state. And his wife said that he would thunder about this for days, that I can't believe the government knows this, has this evidence, and they won't talk about it, and they make people who see UFOs sound like a bunch of nuts. And he would really rage about how the government was handling this. And then he would, his mood would shift, and he would be very proud, happy, and excited like a schoolboy that he alone was shown this evidence by the most important man in the free world, President Nixon, his good friend. So he went uh, an, uh, on an emotional roller coaster after that event. And he didn't work for uh, a long time. He didn't act in movies for years. He was so shook up. Really? Yeah. Uh, uh, Smokey and the Bandit was his famous role as the sheriff. He didn't act uh, in that until like 76, I think it was, came out in 77. So uh, it took him years to get himself braced up, although it did appear in a TV show later in 1973. There wasn't much work to it. And Jackie also made a record album every year up until 73, and he suddenly stopped appearing on records and in other people's golf tournaments for a while and on stage and such uh he just was all shook up as elvis would say wow that is profound that really is well i hope uh, readers enjoy the story and find out even more little tidbits of who could have been involved including possibly another famous comedian who was around that day on the golf course uh, i'll leave that oh. one as an air of mystery you got to buy the book to find out <laughs> well it's a Good great job. book paul once again you have done it you have created a a magnificent book and we urge mm-hmm. everybody to get a copy when it drops in the spring we'll be sure to announce it on the show We'll put it on our Facebook page and let everybody know when it's available for sale because this is a great story, and it's true. It happened. And, Paul, you're the man because you put it all together for everybody so that we could we could read it and understand it and be a part of that kind of history. It's It's just remarkable. And you have all these other books, President Eisenhower's Close Encounters, also another great book. And tell us the rest of your titles, too, so we can look them up on Amazon. Uh, I'm re- currently redoing my Mo 41, the uh, the story of the 1941 Cape Girardeau, Missouri UFO crash. That was my hometown, although I admit I wasn't exactly around in 1941. My father was, and my grandfather was a judge in Cape Girardeau at that time. So ah. that's what got me interested, you know, in UFOs and everything. When I first began to hear this stuff, I thought, wow, my own hometown, this is amazing. And so I went on to write like a comedy novel called Alien Races. And even though it was fictional, I put in some real-life UFO information like crashes that happened in the Nevada area near Las Vegas where the story is set. And I wrote a a Christian fiction adventure novel and put some real-life prophecies into that. And uh, I wrote a book on the Kennedy assassination, got a uh, good review from someone who's usually really cynical about uh, JFK uh, conspiracy books. So that warmed my heart. Uh, I wish I could have gotten that more mainstream. But, uh, but the books are there from Argus and from Foundations. And always look for them on Amazon. Yes, they're all there. and. They're all great, and we'll let everybody know when the Nixon-Gleason Alien Encounter is available. And I know your next interview is going to be on Coast to Coast with George Norrie, right? That's coming up in a couple of weeks? 
Right, appropriately on President's Day, on the 20th, overnight to the 21st. Oh, that's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Well, excellent, Paul. We can't thank you enough for joining us. It's been a very exciting show, learning about all of this. This is, oh, it's been great. Thank you so much. So next week, everybody, we will be back with another terrific show. And until then. We'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girl.